Chapter Four of the Uncommercial Traveller. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Uncommercial Traveller by Charles Dickens. Chapter Four. As I shut the door of my lodging behind me, and came out into the streets at six on a drizzling Saturday evening in the last past month of January, all that neighborhood of Covent Garden looked very desolate. It is so essentially a neighborhood which has seen better days, that bad weather affects it sooner than another place which has not come down in the world. In its present reduced condition it bears a thaw almost worse than any place I know. It gets so dreadfully low-spirited when damp breaks forth. Those wonderful houses about Drury Lane Theatre, which in the palmy days of theatres were prosperous and long settled places of business, and which now change hands every week, but never change their character of being divided and subdivided on the ground floor into mouldy dens of shops, where an orange and a half-dozen nuts, or a pomatum pot, one cake of fancy soap and a cigar-box are offered for sale and never sold, were most ruefully contemplated that evening by the statue of Shakespeare, with the raindrops coursing one another down its innocent nose. Those inscrutable pigeonhole offices with nothing in them, not so much as an inkstand, but a model of a theatre before the curtain, where in the Italian opera season tickets at reduced prices are kept on sale by nomadic gentlemen in smeary hats too tall for them whom one occasionally seems to have seen on race-courses, not wholly unconnected with strips of cloth of various colours and a rolling ball, those Bedouin establishments, deserted by the tribe and tenantless, except when sheltering in one corner an irregular row of ginger-beer bottles, which would have made one shudder on such a night, but for its being plain that they had nothing in them, shrunk from the shrill cries of the newsboys at their exchange in the kennel of Catherine Street, like guilty things upon a fearful summons. At the pipe-shop in Great Russell Street, the death-said pipes were like theatrical memento mori, admonishing beholders of the decline of the playhouse as an institution. I walked up Bow Street, disposed to be angry with the shops there that were letting out theatrical secrets by exhibiting to workaday humanity the stuff of which diadems and robes of kings are made i noticed that some shops which had once been in the dramatic line and had struggled out of it were not getting on prosperously like some actors i've known who took to business and failed to make it answer in a word those streets looked so dull and considered as theatrical streets so broken and bankrupt that the found dead on the blackboard at the police station might have announced the decease of the drama and the pools of water outside the fire engine makers at the corner of longacre might have been occasioned by his having brought out the whole of his stock to play upon its last smouldering ashes and yet on such a night in so degenerate a time, the object of my journey was theatrical. And yet within half an hour I was in an immense theatre, capable of holding nearly five thousand people. What theatre? Her Majesty's? Far better. Royal Italian Opera, 
far better, infinitely superior to the latter for hearing in, infinitely superior to both for seeing in. To every part of this theatre, spacious, fireproof ways of ingress and egress, for every part of it convenient places of refreshment and retiring rooms, everything to eat and drink carefully supervised as to quality and sold at an appointed price, respectable female attendants ready for the commonest women in the audience, a general air of consideration, decorum, and supervision most commendable, an unquestionably humanizing influence in all the social arrangements of the place. Surely a dear theatre, then because they were in London, not very long ago, theatres with entrance prices up to half a guinea a head, whose arrangements were not half so civilized, surely, therefore, a dear theatre. Not very dear. A gallery at threepence, another gallery at fourpence, a pit at sixpence, boxes and pit stalls at a shilling, and a few private boxes at half a crown. My uncommercial curiosity induced me to go into every nook of this great place, and among every class of the audience assembled in it, amounting that evening, as I calculated, to about two thousand and odd hundreds, magnificently lighted by a firmament of sparkling chandeliers. The building was ventilated to perfection. My sense of smell, without being particularly delicate, has been so offended in some of the commoner places of public resort that I have often been obliged to leave them when I have made an uncommercial journey expressly to look on. The air of this theatre was fresh, cool, and wholesome. To help toward this end, very sensible precautions had been used, ingeniously combining the experience of hospitals and railway stations. Asphalt pavements substituted for wooden floors honest bare walls of glazed brick and tile, even at the back of the boxes, for plaster and paper. No benches stuffed, and no carpeting or bays used, a cool material with a light glazed surface being the covering of the seats. The various contrivances are as well considered in the place in question as if it were a fever hospital. The result is that it is sweet and healthful. It has been constructed from the ground to the roof, with a careful reference to sight and sound in every corner. The result is that its form is beautiful, and that the appearance of the audience, as seen from the proscenium, with every face in it commanding the stage, and the whole so admirably raked and turned to that centre, that a hand can scarcely move in the great assemblage without the movement being seen from thence is highly remarkable in its union of vastness with compactness. The stage itself, and all its appurtenances of machinery, cellarage, height, and breadth, are on a scale more like the Scala at Milan, or the San Carlo at Naples, or the Grand Opera at Paris, than any notion a stranger would be likely to form of the Britannia Theatre at Hoxton a mile north of St. Luke's Hospital, in the Old Street Road, London. The forty thieves might be played here, and every thief ride his real horse, and the disguised captain bring in his oil jars on a train of real camels, and nobody be put out of the way. This really extraordinary place 
is the achievement of one man's enterprise and was erected on the ruins of an inconvenient old building in less than five months at a round cost of five and twenty thousand pounds to dismiss this part of my subject and still to render to the proprietor the credit that is strictly his due i must add that his sense of the responsibility upon him to make the best of his audience and to do the best for them is a highly agreeable sign of these times as the spectators at this theatre for reason i will presently show were the object of my journey i entered on the play of the night as one of the two thousand and odd hundreds by looking about me at my neighbours we were a motley assemblage of people and we had a good many boys and young men among us we had also many girls and young women to represent however that we did not include a very great number and a very fair proportion of family groups would be to make a gross misstatement such groups were to be seen in all parts of the house in the boxes and stalls particularly they were composed of persons of very decent appearance who had many children with them among our dresses there were most kinds of shabby and greasy wear and much fustian and corduroy that was neither sound nor fragrant the caps of our young men were mostly of a limp character and we who wore them slouched high-shouldered into our places with our hands in our pockets and occasionally twisted our cravats about our necks like eels and occasionally tied them down our breasts like links of sausages and occasionally had a screw in our hair over each cheekbone with a slight thief flavor in it beside prowlers and idlers we were mechanics dock laborers costermongers petty tradesmen small clerks milliners staymakers shoe-binders slop-workers poor workers in a hundred highways and byways many of us on the whole the majority were not at all clean and not at all choice in our lives or conversation but we had all come together in a place where our convenience was well consulted and where we were well looked after to enjoy an evening's entertainment in common we were not going to lose any part of what we had paid for through anybody's caprice and as a community we had a character to lose so we were closely attentive and kept excellent order and let the man or boy who did otherwise instantly get out from this place or we would put him out with the greatest expedition we began at half-past six with a pantomime with a pantomime so long that before it was over i felt as if i had been travelling for six weeks going to india say by the overland mail the spirit of liberty was the principal personage in the introduction and the four quarters of the world came out of the globe glittering and discoursed with the spirit who sang charmingly we were delighted to understand that there was no liberty anywhere but among ourselves and we highly applauded the agreeable fact in an allegorical way which did as well as any other way we and the spirit of liberty got into a kingdom of needles and pins and found them at war with a potentate who called in to his aid their old arch-enemy rust and who would have got the better of them if the spirit of liberty had not in the nick of time transformed the leaders into clown pantaloon harlequin columbine harlequina and a whole family of sprites 
consisting of a remarkably stout father and three spineless sons. We all knew what was coming when the spirit of liberty addressed the king with a big face and his majesty back to the side scenes and began untying himself behind with his big face all on one side. Our excitement at that crisis was great and our delight unbounded. After this era in our existence we went through all the incidents of a pantomime. It was not by any means a savage pantomime in the way of burning or boiling people or throwing them out of a window or cutting them up was often very droll was always liberally got up and cleverly presented i noticed that the people who kept the shops and who represented the passengers in the thoroughfares and so forth had no conventionality in them but were unusually like the real thing from which i infer that you may take that audience in if you wish to concerning knights and ladies fairies angels or such like but they are not to be done as to anything in the streets i noticed also that when two young men dressed in exact imitation of the eel and sausage cravatted portion of the audience were chased by policemen and finding themselves in danger of being caught dropped so suddenly as to oblige the policemen to tumble over them there was great rejoicing among the caps as though it were a delicate reference to something they had heard of before the pantomime was succeeded by a melodrama throughout the evening i was pleased to observe virtue quite as triumphant as she usually is out of doors and indeed i thought rather more so we all agreed for the time that honesty was the best policy and we were as hard as iron upon vice and we wouldn't hear of villainy getting on in the world no not on any consideration whatever between the pieces we almost all of us went out and refreshed many of us went the length of drinking beer at the bar of the neighboring public-house some of us drank spirits crowds of us had sandwiches and ginger beer at the refreshment bars established for us at the theater the sandwich as substantial as was consistent with portability and as cheap as possible we hailed as one of our greatest institutions it forced its way among us at all stages of the entertainment and we were always delighted to see it its adaptability to the varying moods of our nature was surprising we could never weep so comfortably as when our tears fell on our sandwich we could never laugh so heartily as when we choked with sandwich virtue never looked so beautiful or vice so deformed as when we paused sandwich in hand to consider what would come of that resolution of wickedness in boots to sever innocence in flowered chintz from honest industry in striped stockings when the curtain fell for the night we still fell back upon sandwich to help us through the rain and mire and home to bed this as i have mentioned was saturday night being saturday night i had accomplished but the half of my uncommercial journey for its object was to compare the play on saturday evening with the preaching in the same theatre on sunday evening therefore at the same hour of half-past six on the similarly damp and muddy sunday evening i returned to this theatre i drove up to the entrance fearful of being late or i should have come on foot and found myself in a large crowd of people who i am happy to state 
were put into excellent spirits by my arrival. Having nothing to look at but the mud and the closed doors, they looked at me and highly enjoyed the comic spectacle. My modesty inducing me to draw off some hundreds of yards into a dark corner, they at once forgot me and applied themselves to their former occupation of looking at the mud and looking in at the closed doors, which being of graded ironwork allowed the lighted passage within to be seen. They were chiefly people of respectable appearance, odd and impulsive as most crowds are, and making a joke of being there as most crowds do. In the dark corner I might have sat a long while, but that a very obliging passer-by informed me that the theatre was already full, and that the people whom I saw in the street were all shut out for want of room. After that I lost no time in worming myself into the building and creeping to a place in a proscenium box that had been kept for me. There must have been full four thousand people present. Carefully estimating the pit alone, I could bring it out as holding little less than fourteen hundred. Every part of the house was well filled, and I had not found it easy to make my way along the back of the boxes to where I sat. The chandeliers in the ceiling were lighted. There was no light on the stage. The orchestra was empty, the green curtain was down, and packed pretty closely on chairs on the small space of stage before it were some thirty gentlemen and two or three ladies. In the center of these, in a desk or pulpit, covered with the red baize, was the presiding minister. The kind of rostrum he occupied will be very well understood, if I liken it to a boarded-up fireplace turned toward the audience, with a gentleman in a black surtout standing in the stove and leaning forward over the mantelpiece. A portion of scripture was being read when I went in. It was followed by a discourse to which the congregation listened with most exemplary attention and uninterrupted silence and decorum. My own attention comprehended both the auditory and the speaker, and shall turn to both in this recalling of the scene exactly as it did at the time. A very difficult thing, I thought, when the discourse began, to speak appropriately to so large an audience and to speak with tact. Without it, better not speak at all, infinitely better, to read the New Testament well and to let that speak. In this congregation there is indubitably one pulse, but I doubt if any power short of genius can touch it as one and make it answer as one. I could not possibly say to myself as the discourse proceeded that the minister was a good speaker. I could not possibly say to myself that he expressed an understanding of the general mind and character of his audience. There was a supposititious working man introduced into the homily to make supposititious objections to our Christian religion and be reasoned down, who was not only a very disagreeable person, but remarkably unlike life, very much more unlike it than anything I had seen in the pantomime. The native independence of character this artisan was supposed to possess was represented by a suggestion of a dialect that I certainly never heard in my uncommercial travels 
and with a coarse swing of voice and manner anything but agreeable to his feelings i should conceive considered in the light of a portrait and as far away from the fact as a chinese tartar there was a model pauper introduced in like manner who appeared to me to be the most intolerably arrogant pauper ever relieved and to show himself in absolute want and dire necessity of a course of stone-yard for how did this pauper testify to his having received the gospel of humility a gentleman met him in the workhouse and said which i myself really thought good-natured of him ah john i am sorry to see you here i am sorry to see you so poor poor sir replied that man drawing himself up i am the son of a prince my father is the king of kings my father is the lord of lords my father is the ruler of all the princes of the earth and this was what all the preacher's fellow sinners might come to if they would embrace this blessed book which i must say it did some violence to my own feelings of reverence to see held out at arm's length at frequent intervals and soundingly slapped like a slow lot at a sale now could i help asking myself the question whether the mechanic before me who must detect the preacher as being wrong about the visible manner of himself and the like of himself and about such a noisy lip-server as that pauper might not most unhappily for the usefulness of the occasion doubt that preachers being right about things not visible to human senses again is it necessary or advisable to address such an audience continually as fellow sinners is it not enough to be fellow creatures born yesterday suffering and striving to-day dying to-morrow by our common humanity my brothers and sisters by our common capacities for pain and pleasure by our common laughter and our common tears by our common aspiration to reach something better than ourselves by our common tendency to believe in something good and to invest whatever we love or whatever we lose with some qualities that are superior to our own failings and weaknesses as we know them in our own poor hearts by these hear me surely it is enough to be fellow creatures surely it includes the other designation and some touching meanings over and above again there was a personage introduced into the discourse not an absolute novelty to the best of my remembrance of my readings who had been personally known to the preacher and had been quite a crichton in all the ways of philosophy but had been an infidel many a time had the preacher talked with him on that subject and many a time had he failed to convince that intelligent man but he fell ill and died and before he died he recorded his conversion in words which the preacher had taken down my fellow sinners and would read to you from this piece of paper i must confess that to me as one of an uninstructed audience they did not appear particularly edifying i thought their tone extremely selfish and i thought they had a spiritual vanity in them which was of the before-mentioned refractory pauper's family all slangs and twangs are objectionable everywhere but the slang and twang of the conventicle as bad in its way as that of the house of commons and nothing worse can be said of it should be studiously avoided under such circumstances as i describe the avoidance was not complete on this occasion 
nor was it quite agreeable to see the preacher addressing his pet points to his backers on the stage as if appealing to those disciples to show him up and testify to the multitude that each of those points was a clincher but in respect of the large christianity of his general tone of his renunciation of all priestly authority of his earnest and reiterated assurance to the people that the commonest among them could work out their own salvation if they would by simply lovingly and dutifully following our saviour and that they needed the mediation of no erring man in these particulars this gentleman deserved all praise nothing could be better than the spirit or the plain emphatic words of his discourse in these respects and it was a most significant and encouraging circumstance that whenever he struck that chord or whenever he described anything which christ himself had done the array of faces before him was very much more earnest and very much more expressive of emotion than at any other time and now i am brought to the fact that the lowest part of the audience of the previous night was not there there is no doubt about it there was no such thing in that building that sunday evening i have been told since that the lowest part of the audience of the victoria theatre had been attracted to its sunday services i have been very glad to hear it but on this occasion of which i write the lowest part of the usual audience of the britannia theatre decidedly and unquestionably stayed away when i first took my seat and looked at the house my surprise at the change in its occupants was as great as my disappointment to the most respectable class of the previous evening was added a great number of respectable strangers attracted by curiosity and drafts from the regular congregations of various chapels it was impossible to fail in identifying the character of these last and they were very numerous i came out in a strong slow tide of them setting from the boxes indeed while the discourse was in progress the respectable character of the auditory was so manifest in their appearance that when the minister addressed a supposititious outcast one really felt a little impatient of it as a figure of speech not justified by anything the eye could discover the time appointed for the conclusion of the proceedings was eight o'clock the address having lasted until full that time and it being the custom to conclude with a hymn the preacher intimated in a few sensible words that the clock had struck the hour and that those who desired to go before the hymn was sung could go now without giving offence no one stirred the hymn was then sung in good time and tune and unison and its effect was very striking a comprehensive benevolent prayer dismissed the throng and in seven or eight minutes there was nothing left in the theatre but a light cloud of dust that these sunday meetings in theatres are good things i do not doubt nor do i doubt that they will work lower and lower down in the social scale if those who preside over them will be very careful on two heads firstly not to disparage the places in which they speak or the intelligence of their hearers secondly not to set themselves in antagonism to the natural inborn desire of the mass of mankind to recreate themselves and to be amused there is a third head 
taking precedence of all others to which my remarks on the discourse i heard have tended in the new testament there is the most beautiful and affecting history conceivable by man and there are the terse models for all prayer and for all preaching as to the models imitate them sunday preachers else why are they there consider as to the history tell it some people cannot read some people will not read many people this especially holds among the young and ignorant find it hard to pursue the verse form in which the book is presented to them and imagine that those breaks imply gaps and want of continuity help them over that first stumbling block by setting forth the history in narrative with no fear of exhausting it you will never preach so well you will never move them so profoundly you will never send them away with half so much to think of which is the better interest christ's choice of twelve poor men to help in those merciful wonders among the poor and rejected or the pious bullying of a whole union full of paupers what is your changed philosopher to wretched me peeping in at the door out of the mud of the streets and of my life when you have the widow's son to tell me about the ruler's daughter the other figure at the door when the brother of the two sisters was dead and one of the two ran to the mourner crying the master is come and calleth for thee let the preacher who will thoroughly forget himself and remember no individuality but one and no eloquence but one stand up before four thousand men and women at the britannia theatre any sunday night recounting that narrative to them as fellow creatures and he shall see a sight end of chapter four